The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. If you guys have your Bible, we're going to open up to 1 Peter, and we're going to read the first two verses of 1 Peter, and we're going to pray and ask for God to help us. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles in a dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Father in heaven, we uh, come together as a family uh, to worship Jesus together and to love him. And Father, as you have called us to be together and you have given us your spirit to help us grow together, uh, God, we ask that we would enjoy the gospel, that we would enjoy Jesus tonight, and that we would grow in our desire to join your mission. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How did you get to living where you are? How did you get to living in a specific, like, your specific address? Um, I don't know what your story is. Uh, You could be renting. You could be buying. um, You could be there by uh, force because you live with your parents and they tell you where to live. Um, You could be there under circumstances that aren't necessarily, like, that fun. Um, This could be your dream home. But where do you live? Like, why do you live where you live? We tend to think about um, tend to think about where we live as uh, essential, kind of like to our identity. I mean, you think about um, you know classic New Englanders, like you're not from around here, are you? Like that type of like I'm from New England and you're not from New England. But our our place of where we live, um, I'm not sure if it necessarily communicates anything special about to you about where you live. But one of the things that's important to God is exactly where you live. Um, That we don't just kind of live where we live by accident, that actually God has placed us where we live in our specific address on purpose. And that's why we're looking at 1 Peter uh, chapter one. Um, We're doing this kind of talking about the Trinity. We started our series on the Trinity, um, talking about what is it, how how does the Trinity uh, made us a Christian? Like what is it, how does the Trinity interact with just being a Christian point blank? And then what does it mean um, to not only become a Christian, but to live the Christian life. Um, and how does the Trinity interact with our Christian life? So we looked at Ephesians 1 for our salvation, Romans 8 for our Christian life, and last week we looked at 2 Corinthians 13 for our life together uh, in Christ, um, under the Trinity. And then tonight we're looking at mission, and where you live is essential to what Jesus... Um, has done in your life to not only save you, but to join you to his mission, which is why we're looking at First Peter. And I don't know if that strikes you as kind of like an odd sort of like location. Like, why don't you go to like for missions? Like, why don't we look like Matthew 28 or something like that? But like First Peter is um, a, highly, a highly missionary, missional book in the Bible. Um, because when we think about mission, it's important to think about our home and not just stuff that's going on over there in Thailand or in Australia or Asia or Africa, but thinking about our own home. 
before we start looking at First Peter, one of the things I want to just draw out for you guys is that um, the Bible itself is a missionary text. The Bible itself is a missionary book. That's one of the core things. Like if you're talking about like what's one of the core things about how this is put together and why it's the word of God. The Bible itself is a missionary book because in the very beginning, if we look at Genesis 1 through 3, God creates everything. And what does God do? He pursues his people. They reject him and he continues to pursue them. And so the Bible recounts God's pursuit of people that have fallen away and, and left him. So God is the first missionary. And God's the one sending his word as a missionary text to us to rescue us out of our darkness and sin and to return us to himself and to take us home with him, right? So the Bible itself is a missionary missionary book because God himself is the first missionary. Uh, a, a theologian, Christopher J.H. Wright, he has this very helpful comment. He says, mission is not ours. Mission is God's. I don't know if you think about, when you think about like the word missions, like we're going to do something and we kind of get wrapped up in like, I'm going to plant a church in Manchester. I'm going to go pursue this or whatever. He starts out by saying, mission is not ours. Mission is God's. It is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world, right? Let me read that again. It's not so much that the, the case that God has a mission for his church, right? It's not that he created a task for us to do. It's that the world, but that God has a church for his mission in the world, which means God's the one who starts the mission and he brings his church into what he's doing. Mission has, was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, for God's mission. Right, so when we begin to look at First Peter, that's important for how we're looking at this because First Peter is addressing people who are all scattered around, around the backwoods of the ancient Roman Empire. And Peter is coming into them and saying, before we talk about what you're doing, let's talk about and remind you that you're where you are and that you're on mission because God has saved you and he is on mission, right? God is the one pursuing broken people, sinful people, and so as we're looking at First Peter, specifically the first two verses, we are seeing the Trinity filling and joining us to God's mission to seek and save the lost. We exist for mission because our triune God exists for mission. That's the main point of what we're looking at. We exist at the very core of who we are as Christians for mission because our triune God is on mission. So what does that mean? Like, how do we exist? I mean, when I say that, I don't know if like, you're like, that doesn't make any sense to me. We're going to look at that in the first few verses here of First Peter. So how do, how, does, how do we exist as Christians for mission? The first is that we're going to start looking at the Father. We are chosen according to the Father. So verse 1 of First Peter 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles and dispersion in Pontus, and Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Can we show that map? So this is where he's talking about. I don't know if you guys have in your mind uh, Bithynia memorized on the map, but I don't personally. So obviously over here we have on the top left, we have Rome and Italy, right? The big boot, right? That's like the center of the world back then. Uh, 
not so much anymore unless you're a Roman Catholic. Um, but then you have over here, uh, you have Ephesus and Corinth, right? So those are the letters that we read earlier, right? We looked at Ephesus and Corinth. They're a big, major, major, major important cities. And then in the, if you look, you have like the red text ones over here by the Black Sea. You have Bithynia, Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Pontus. And these were, uh, this is kind of like modern day Turkey, but um, these were kind of like the backwoods, backwaters. They were not overly important cities. Uh, of the Roman Empire back then. They were not like uh, major uh, metropolitan areas. Uh, they weren't major trade routes. They were, not, um, they were not the Boston and New York. They were the Manchester and Plymouth and Concord of their day. And uh, Paul, Peter is writing this letter to them uh, probably around 62 AD. So not like anything like major going on. There's no major persecution going on. Uh, actually, so Neo, uh, um, Nero, who uh, later on, uh, I don't know if you guys know much about early church, church history, but Nero's the one who would put Christians on stakes and light them on fire to, to, uh, put for his, to light his parties at night. I mean, he was a total, like, sick dude. Um, but that doesn't happen for another five years. before. So that's five years after this letter. Uh, so when Peter's writing this to them, they are just kind of, they are Christians dispersed out in the world, uh, not necessarily facing any like systematic persecution, but just normal everyday life trials of being Christians. And what he starts out by saying to them, he says, to those who are elect exiles, and we could kind of brush over that and be like, it's kind of like, like a bro pump, like, sup guys, how's it going? That's not what he's saying. He's actually choosing those words specifically because these towns were full of not, they weren't Jews, they were Gentiles. It would have been converts uh, from pagan background. And he is saying to them, you guys, you are God's people because you are in Jesus. And Jesus is the true Israel. And Jesus, in Jesus, all the true things about God's people in the Old Testament are not true about you. He's calling them elect exiles. All through the book of De- Deuteronomy, specifically, like all through Deuteronomy, God says, you're my chosen people, and you're my chosen people that I'm going to disperse throughout the whole world. And I'm going to lead you out of exile. So we just preach through the book of Exodus. Remember the book of Exodus? It's called the Exodus because they are exiting out, right, <laughs> of, of Egypt, right? And then at the back end of, of Old Testament history, you have the, what's called the Babylonian captivity, Right, um, it's where all the curses of Deuteronomy come true, where uh, they've all rejected God. God's people have rejected Him, and so He kicks them out of His land, and He sends them to Babylon. They get conquered, and then at the back end of the Old Testament history, they start this. Um, they're exiled out of their land, but then they start this exodus back to their homeland. So you have this story of the Old Testament, right, of people leaving darkness and returning to God. That's a part of the whole story of the Old Testament, and they are exiles. They are, um, they are, but they are still God's people, but they are going home. And so when Peter addresses them, he says to God's people who are a part of God's story, who are going home, right? He's, he's saying, you guys, at the very core of your identity, you are chosen by the Father. He loves you and he has set his, his eyes on you 
And every, everything that's true about God in the Old Testament, this is now your story, right? You are leaving the darkness and slavery of sin, and you are going home, right? The, often one of the, a term that, that theologians will use about Christians is that we're resident aliens, right? That we don't, we don't actually belong here. This isn't really our home, but we belong, like, like we still pay taxes and we still live here, right? So we haven't been like, you know, whisked on a cloud up to heaven, we still live here, we're residents, but we're aliens. We belong to a different country. We belong someplace else. So when Peter starts out, he's saying to those who are elect exiles in all these backwater towns, <laughs> according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Right, he has specifically placed his love and affection on us where we are specifically. Right, that's, that's kind of what we were looking at through this whole series of whenever we talk about the Father, we are always talking about when it, uh, a Father who is full of infinite, unending, specific love. Right? He's not just kind of like blank check, I love everybody. That's true about God. But when we talk about the Father, he has a specific focused love. Right? Uh, you are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. He specifically knows them. If we were to go into the book of heaven, he has their names specifically written down, right? <laughs> Jacob Young, 45 Canton Street, apartment one, bedroom in the back. You know, like in Harry Potter, when he sends the, the letters get sent, they're always like addresses changing because they know where he's at, right? God specifically and intentionally knows who you are. Right? And he doesn't just know specifically, he knows intentionally where you are placed and where you are. And so as Peter, what we're doing is we're, we're kind of starting with these two verses and we're kind of looking sideways to the first, first Peter to kind of pick up a few of our points. So later Peter says in verse 14 of chapter 1, as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Right? So he's already appealing to their identity. Right? If you're children, you've got a father. And who's your father? our heavenly father who has chosen us with his specific intentional love as obedient children do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance but as he who called you is who is holy you also be holy in all your conduct since it is written you shall be holy for i am holy right he goes on to say and if you called on him as father right here's verse 2 a chosen according to the foreknowledge of the god the father if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Here again, remember this exile language, right? You're, you're leaving your, zip, your, your, your physical zip code and going to your spiritual zip code, right? If you call on, him a fa- call, uh, call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear through the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways you inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or as gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but is made manifest in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, right? So God the Father, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Right? So here we have this whole picture of God who is holy, right? And we, we tend to talk about holiness. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. When we talk about holiness, we think of like holiness kind of like uh, behind the veil and untouchable, 
but God is so holy that he pursues us in his holiness, right? His holiness leans in towards sinners. It's not get away from me. There is a sense in which we must be punished for our sins. That's definitely true. But God's holiness doesn't separate to the exclusion of ever interacting with sinful, wicked, broken, needy people. He leans in and then he calls us like him to lean in. Right? He, is, he is a father who is good and he specifically chooses us and he says, now be like me, grow in holiness, but care about the people around you. Right? That's, why, that's why he says, right? And if each one of you calls on, on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Right? This is not kind of like, hey, here's a blank check and do whatever you want. God the Father, he leans in and by his love, he grabs us and changes us and redeems us so that we can join in doing good things like God the Father. Right? God the Father does things to people who don't like him, to bless them, and he calls us to do the same. But it's not like we're trying to prove anything to him. I don't know if you guys picked up on this. We're not trying to prove anything to God the Father to like gain his love or secure his love or to keep his love. You notice in verse 2 it says, you are elect exiles according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And then the next time that word is used, that foreknowledge word, it's used in verse 20. He was foreknown. Right, that's Jesus. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. The same way in which God the Father sets his affection and love upon Jesus, the security that is there, that bond of intentional love that God the Father has for God the Son, is the same foreknowledge, the same bond of love that he sets upon you. You are secured in his foreknowledge. He knows you, and he sets his love upon you before you do anything to get it, right? This isn't kind of like, oh, I know they're going to believe in me, so I'm going to love them. I know God the Father looks at Jesus and he says, I love you. And he looks at you and he says, I love you. And he grabs you and he holds you and he keeps you for himself. He chooses you with his love so that you can join him on his mission without having the sense of like, oh, I've got to like, does he love me? Does he love me not? Am I doing the right thing? Am I not? Am I screwing this up? Am I making, am I making more of a mess so that God, the, God has to like fix things, more things later on? Am I, you know what I mean? No, no, no. His love is set on you so that you can then love other people and engage in doing the, the things that God's called you to do without having an identity crisis every day. <laughs> right? The identity crisis is settled in Jesus. Right? And our, that means that our identity is changed by a missionary God who pursues you for you to now join his mission where you live. Right? Because that's the thing. God knows these people live in the backwaters. God knows that you live wherever your address is. And he has set his affection on you to then join his mission where you are. And you know that he's got a mission to seek and save people where you live because you live there. <laughs> right? You see what I'm saying? Like, you live in Manchester or in the area of Manchester. God is pursuing broke and, broken and lost and sinful people because you believe in him and now he is calling you to join him in his mission to reach more people. That's, he's a missionary God because you're in Christ. And now he's calling you to join him in his mission to seek others. It also means that all the circumstances, all the circumstances of your life 
are God's missionary context for you. Right? God is not saying, um, I'm saving you so that then I can give you a white picket fence and no financial problems and no health problems so that then you can go serve other people. Right? No, no, these, these people, I'm sure, are just like us, people in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, I think they had the same sort of messed up problems that we do, same sort of stresses, same sort of political problems, same sort of family issues, same sort of family health issues. And yet God the Father has pursued them so that in those things going on in your life, those are the contexts that God wants to use to reach others. Right, whatever your story is. And I know that things are hard. And that's why we respond to these things by begging God for wisdom and praying for his grace and help. We, uh, which also means that everybody, everybody has a place in serving God's mission. Right? So we just mentioned children's ministry stuff or the life of our church plant. Right? This church plant is how God is reaching more people to seek and save in Manchester. And uh, the reality is that as God continues to grow us, uh, we need help, all hands on deck type stuff. And so uh, God has a gift for everybody to be using to seek and bless other people, right? And that could be uh, picking up wires, or that could be serving in children's ministry. It could be helping with food. It could be hosting a small group. It could be uh, God is going to use those things uh, to seek and bless other people. <laughs> and um, the reality is that uh, we have a great hope in, in pursuing those things because all of us are knuckleheads and we don't know what we're doing. Um, just like these people were. And yet God secures them in his love to send them on his mission. Okay. Second part of this introduction, right? To those who are elect exiles in the dispersion to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit. So how do we join God's mission, right? The first thing is we are chosen according to the Father. And the second one is we are changed in the Holy Spirit. Why does he say, right, to those who are elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit? Right, the, the core of this is that the Holy Spirit is key to God's mission, right? The Holy Spirit is the key to applying God's mission to our lives. The Holy Spirit is the one who create, uh, was one who hovered over the waters, right? and created the earth, right? The Holy Spirit's the one who comes down and blesses Jesus and fills Jesus on his mission. The Holy Spirit's the one who comes down and blesses the church at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's the one who comes and births new, new life and faith in us. And the Holy Spirit's the one that comes. He goes on to talk about this, the one who gives us the Bible, right? We're not going to move away from holding out the Bible as central to what God is doing in this world. So you pick up in verse 10 of chapter 1. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, right? So these prophets of old, they searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them, right? So these guys, they had the Holy Spirit, not the same way that we do, but they still had the Holy Spirit. And they're like, Holy Spirit, what's going on? What's, what's going to happen? When is this stuff going to happen uh, that we're prophesying about, Right? They were search inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories, right? Which is to say the Holy Spirit is giving 
all of this, all this fat part of the Bible, it's all pointing to Jesus, right? It's all pointing to, right, the sufferings of Christ, the cross of Christ, and the subsequent glories, right? It is cross-centered. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, J.A. Packer describes the Holy Spirit as a, a spotlight ministry, right? He is constantly focusing his attention on Jesus. So he does that throughout the whole Bible. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the dealings, in the things that uh, have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. And then Peter goes on, he, just, he makes a switch, right? He goes, look, this Bible was given to you by the Holy Spirit to declare the gospel, to show you who Jesus is. Verse 13, therefore, prepare your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right? So the Bible is all about Jesus because the Holy Spirit is all about Jesus. And so when the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand the Bible and to believe it, he changes us to be more like Jesus. Right? It's pretty simple, right? The Bible given to us by the Holy Spirit, we get eyes from the Holy Spirit, and then we're changed by the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. The center point of the Bible, the Holy Spirit in our lives, making us more like Jesus. It is, uh, the Holy Spirit is all about making us more like Jesus. So when we look at the rest of the book of 1 Peter, that way that that plays out is showing honor and loving people who are not always easy to honor and love. That's First Peter. So the, the wonderful thing about First Peter is that it's written in a real uh, honest context with the same sort of issues that we have. Um, so if you think that our politics are crazy uh, right now, uh, the politics were pretty crazy back then, right? So Nero was a pretty big nut. Um, and, and yet, Peter goes on to say, uh, chapter 2, verse 13, be subject to the, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or governors who sent by him. Right, he says, here's how, you, here's how you play out, here's how the Holy Spirit works in you. Be submitted to people who are not easy to be submitted to. Right, he goes on to talk about servants, right? This is back when, uh, and the fact that Peter, this is one of those, those little subtle things about the Bible that we can miss. The fact that Peter is addressing servants or slaves and saying, you have the same dignity and worth as every Christian and the Holy Spirit fills you to change you. So the servants are called to be submitted in an appropriate way to their masters, right? Um, it goes on to talk about uh, family. Well, actually, it goes on to talk actually about, uh, right, bless the unjust oppressors, right? So yes, servants and honor our neighbors who are slandering us potentially, right? So verse 13, 17, honor everyone, love the brother, brotherhood, Fear God, honor the emperor, right? So you keep, you keep having like this in the house, outside the house, loving God's people and honoring people who don't know Jesus, right? So the Holy Spirit is, is working this change in us to be like Jesus, to love people who aren't always easy to love, both in church and out of church. And then he goes on to talk about the family, right? Like about wives submitting to their husbands, unbelieving husbands specifically, which is certainly... Uh, a difficult task. Um, but one of the things I find fascinating, I was reading this commentary on this, 
contrary to Hellenistic domestic codes, 1 Peter does not suggest that wives continue to follow the social expectations of joining in the worship of household gods, but instead averse, advises that the behavior of the wives uh, with pagan husbands, that they will be one without persuasive arguments. Right? A missionary purpose is given to wives' moral morality and purity um, and reverent conduct. Because what Peter is saying to them is, look, don't be, uh, don't be all up in your husband's face of like um, giving him a tract every day um, and telling him how bad he is and all that stuff. Look, here's what's going to be better for you. Um, submit and honor him and bless him and encourage him. Yes, tell him about Jesus. So like, don't, don't not tell him about Jesus, but bless him and live a life that shows the humble love of Christ. Because this commentary goes on to say, right, in a cultural context where rejection of the gods of one's husband is socially unacceptable, silent rather than verbal witness is one way to minimize accusations against the gospel and the church while remaining true to the purpose of winning the unbeliever. Right? So the comment is basically saying, um, right, in the cultural context in which they lived, right, the, the real application of the gospel to this, to this situation with these women is um, if they had like gotten up in their husband's face, they would have potentially lost everything, like been kicked out of the house. It would have brought great shame to their husbands. Their children would have been cut off. They would have had nothing. It would, have been a, it would not have been helpful for the gospel, right? And this is one of those wisdom things because you, you could go the other way with that application as well. Thus, the Christian wives serve as a model for all believers who, through their good conduct, witness to the gospel, but due to the possibility of hostile response, may limit their verbal witness. Right? One of the things that happens as we look through 1 Peter is that it applies the gospel and it changes how we're, our, what does it look like for our holiness to, to be lived out in like real context. Like, you've got a boss that you don't like, you've got a, a government that you don't like, uh, you've got a family situation that you don't like, and it's easy to get frustrated and to get angry and to be like, God, why is this going on? Uh, I have a, I live in a know-nothing town with things that aren't going the way I want them to be, um, and this is not what I was hoping for. <laughs> and Peter says, no, the Holy Spirit comes in and gives you perspective and change because of Christ to honor those and bless those around us. Right, which means that our holiness, our growth in holiness, to be more like God, to have the character of God in our lives, is not just a kind of like about ourselves, actually. It is about our own personal growth, but what he's saying is that your neighbors need your holiness. Your neighbors are the focus of your holiness. Right, your holiness is not to kind of like separate and to say we're, we're better or different. That's never the context of holiness. What are the ways your neighbors are what are the ways that your neighbors are trapped by sin that you can graciously invite them out of by your life in Christ? What are the ways that your neighbors are trapped in their sin that your life in Christ can invite them out of? Does that does that question make sense? Like does that make, like for real or not? Yes or no? Yeah. What are the ways in which we can be living in Christ that specifically addresses and engages how our neighbors are trapped in sin, right? It's, 
right, one of the things that it's been going on at Roca, uh, you guys, so Roca Kids Club, you know, Thursday nights, one of the things going on at Roca, I mean, you have a whole bunch of kids that are coming from broken families um, with messed up sense of what a family is and what it means to be a Christian man or a woman. And so on the Roca board, what we've been talking about is encouraging, trying to encourage uh, godly uh, moms and dads and couples to come and serve in Roca as a way of just witnessing to like, what does a, like a healthy Christian look like? What does a healthy man in Christ look like? What does a healthy woman in Christ look like? What does a healthy marriage in Christ look like? I, right? I, like it's nothing like extraordinary, but it's the grace of God to change your life, to be more like Jesus and to offer an alternative to the people around us that is just so foreign to the way we, the way our neighbors are living, right? Like for a husband to, to actually like sacrifice and love his kids and his wife, uh, for a, 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 a single Christian, a man or woman to live in purity, right? It's, uh, it's looking at, um, our friends, like, so, uh, Claudette is at Villacrest and we've been going to Villacrest for like once a month for the last year to play bingo right in a world that is so caught up with being busy and going places and not being inconvenienced or going out of their way to love people that are in Villacrest like we've been going once a month and then you guys have been going regularly now to go visit Claudette to visit people right our, our culture is obsessed with getting things my way as fast as I can, as quickly as I can, as often as I can on my terms. Like our growth in holiness means that maybe we slow down (laughs) and live a a less fast-paced life and spend time with people that live in Villacrest, right? Or Roca, right? So I'm not saying, look, this is what your holiness looks like. Um, go to, on a personal retreat and sit on top of a pillar and eat only cashews and pray for five days. Like that might be fun to some people. That's not what holiness is. Peter helps us see that the Holy Spirit applies holiness in like real gritty and honest and, and just down to earth ways and when we love people around us. And so then we'll finish up by looking at First Peter. We're just going to go back to verse 2. And we're going to finish up this phrase, right? So we've looked at, we are chosen according to the Father. And then we, we've looked at the Holy Spirit, right? We are changed by the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit's ministry? It's a spotlight ministry on Jesus. So that's where Peter ends. For obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. So there's two things that are held out here, but I'm just calling it charged for obedience to Jesus Christ, right? How do we join God's mission? Well, first off, we have this identity in, in God the Father. We are begin, we're beginning to cha- be changed by the Holy Spirit. And then we're given this charge by, for obedience to Jesus Christ, which I think the reason Peter has these two things, obedience to Jesus Christ for sprinkling with his blood, right? Because we have a king and a kingdom, right? We have a king, which is the gospel, where Jesus goes onto his throne at the cross and dies in our place. And it is from the cross that we get all of God's grace and mercy upon our lives. So we have... Uh, the sprinkling with his blood. This is a real gospel with a real king and then obedience to Jesus Christ. So obedience living in his kingdom, right? We are saved by him to be like him. And this is, I think, where Peter goes with this is he doesn't just apply this in um, kind of like uh, simplistic, you know, moralism or liberalism. 
right? So what does their obedience look like? It's not just kind of like simplistic, like, um, you know, you don't drink coffee on Sundays. Um, and it's not, you know, liberalism, like, well, do whatever you want and drink coffee all the time. I don't know why that comes to mind. Because you should drink coffee a lot. Chapter 2, verse 9, if you just look at this. And well, well, I promise we're, we're going to be closing up here in a second. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Again, remember that that Babylonian, that Exodus language, right? You are sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of of visitation. Right? So, Peter is holding out this picture that um, you live among people, right? Remember, he says, right, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, right? So you are among people who don't know Jesus, but you are defined by Jesus among them, right? So they know who you are. They know that you care about them. They know that you love them. They know that you are invested in their their well-being, that you're looking to bless them and to do good for them. But you are different in a certain way, right? Your, your life is at peace when they are inconsolable, right? We, we grieve over sin, but we don't grieve as people who've been defeated by sin, right? We, we look for peace not in political systems or in financial gain or job situations or family dynamics or health. We look for peace only in Christ so there's types of conducts among the Gentiles that are different. Right? But we're, we're among them. Right? And it's not among them uh, to kind of like wag our finger at them and tell them how bad they are. Right? It is among them to bless them. I think this is going to be, is increasingly hard for us uh, in our context today, in our culture today. I mean, we have all the, the gender identity stuff that's going on. It's going to continue to be, you are a bigot for holding to biblical ethics, right? Just biblical men and women are different, created by God to honor him and our bodies don't lie to us. Like that's, that should not be an incredibly radical statement, but it increasingly is. And yet when we are labeled as bigots, um, I have found that the more that I, I know and am known by my non-Christian friends, Let's say, well, that's true about other people, but not about you, Jacob. <laughs> it's kind of like this weird thing where like, we'll have a conversation about this stuff. Like, why well, hold a biblical ethics? You know, Christian, last 2,000 years of Christian teaching, that's what I believe. And they, but they know that I care about them and love them. They're like, well, the, I, can't, I can't totally call Jacob a bigot because <laughs> I, I know that he loves me and cares about me and doesn't want to stone my friends and actually wants to learn and listen from them. But he still holds this, this view that I think that's what we should be experiencing. 
right, our, our, our non-Christian friends having this kind of like discombobulation of like, I want to say mean things about you, but I know how much you care about me and love me. And I just can't bring them together, right? I think that's what Jesus is telling us here, right? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as, an evil, as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. But what are we saying to them, right? What are, what are we telling them about Jesus, right? We are charged for obedience. We are charged by Jesus to tell them something. This is, this is my, one of my favorite po- points in this book. But you are a chosen race, verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, right? You belong to Jesus so that what? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What are we proclaiming? The excellencies of Jesus, right? We're not saying, we're not going to everybody and saying, here's the gospel, you have to believe these moral things. You have to believe, you know, these things, you know, that abortion's wrong and that, you know, guys shouldn't get married to guys. We're not, we're not, that, that's true. But what we're telling them is primarily and explicitly focused the excellencies of him who called you out. Of, we're, we're focusing on Jesus. Why is Jesus great? What's good about Jesus? Why is he the best? Not just better, but why is Jesus the best? Why is Jesus the only hope, the only good thing, the best person in the universe? Right? We could talk about all these other things, right? Let's, let's talk about, you know, all these other ways in which, you know, our world is messed up and broken. But we're not saved to be able to tell people about those things primarily. We're saved to tell people about our king, why he's good. Oh, he's been so good to me. This week I should have been struck down ten, at least 10 times that I'm aware of for being a jerk to my wife and my family and my friends and my neighbors. But he, I mean, I at least haven't been struck down dead. He's been good to me. He's, he's given me food to eat today. He's given me clothes on my body. He's, he's given me friends that I don't deserve. He's given me the, the ability to come together with his people and to worship him. He's, invite, he's invited us to his table to eat a meal with him. He's brought us together to eat a meal together afterwards of food that is going to be awesome because it's been awesome all year and was awesome all last year, right? He's given us mouths and taste buds to be able to taste food and that it's, it's good and rich and, and all the little fats that he's put in food that are so tasty. He's made you and saved you so that not only can you taste them, but that's a foretaste of a better feast to come. Why have you just set aside an hour? Can I just, can I just, I know an hour is hard. Maybe 15 minutes if that's an hour. But just think for 15 minutes this week and just make a list. What are the excellencies of Jesus that I love? What are the excellencies of Jesus that, that make my heart sing? I, I, I think that that's one of the best things that we could do for our souls and how we tell people about Jesus, right? Yeah, we want to tell people the gospel, but the gospel makes us alive to be able to say, these are the excellencies to tell other people about the excellencies of Jesus Christ. Why is he good, right? He's a lion who defends his people. He's a lamb that's humble and walks beside him. If you can handle Jonathan Edwards, uh, he has a, a, a sermon that he preached, the excellencies of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's like, 40 pages long. I mean, if you guys think I preach long, I mean, could you imagine a 40 page sermon? But he preached a sermon and he goes through and talks about these contrasts between he's a lion 
and he's a lamb, right? He's thunder, and he's water, right? He's, he's all these contrasting things, the excellencies of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ and everything about who he is is what we are charged to tell other people. Okay. The reason, the reason that we do this is because we are looking to Jesus and trusting in him to do his mission. And it's not always easy to trust him to do what we want to see, right? Let's touch, touch back on the mission thing, right? We're talking about how we're joining his mission. His mission's hard. His mission is not as fruitful as we'd like to see it at times, right? I think it's helpful to remember the early church just so that, that just a decade right after this, the early church grew, we think of the early church as being like, you know, gangbusters and loads of people just coming to Christ. Well, it happened on Pentecost, and it happened a few other times in the New Testament. But for the most part, uh, the New Testament church and the church, the centuries right after it, it grew at about like 2.5 to 3.5 per year, which is like, not like a huge growth, <laughs> right? So if you have like 30 people, that's like, you know, like one person every other year, something like that, or maybe every year. I'm not good at math, but <laughs> it's not like it's exponential. It's progressive growth, but that was the growth that they had. So they went from in 100 AD for being about 225,000 Christians to then just two centuries later in 310 AD to being 20 million Christians. And it was just these churches that Peter's writing to being slow and faithful to what God's doing. Guys, I would love, I would love for this room to be filled. We just bought new chairs uh, for our small groups. I would love for the 20 of them that we bought to be filled with our neighbors and friends that don't know Jesus. And may God do it. May God do it this week, this year, and the coming year. I don't know what God's going to do, but as we look to Jesus and we trust him with his mission, we, remember, we're joining what he's doing, and we're trusting the fruit to him. Right? And I pray that just like King of Grace that planted us in 10 years, that we'll be planting more churches as we progressively join God's mission to seek and save the lost around us, that he brings in the fruit because he's, gonna, he's securing our identity and our identity is inherently, we are sent by God. We're growing and, our, and our, your holiness is a part of God's mission to seek and save the lost. And what, do you, what does that holiness do? It leads you to people and you tell them about how great Jesus is. And then you just trust the rest of Jesus, right? Okay, Jesus, you're going to take care of this. And I believe that we're going to see more people, our neighbors and friends coming to Jesus as we join our triune God on mission, right? We, are, we, are, we exist for mission because as Peter lays out for us and he lays out for them and for us, we exist for mission because our triune God is on mission. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful that you've given us this word. We're grateful that you have chosen us and that you've changed us. And Father, that you have charged us to tell people about how great Jesus is. Oh God, fill our hearts with the greatness and glory of Jesus that we can tell more people about him. Father, would you change us by your spirit to be more like Jesus. And Father, at the end of the day, would we rest our heads in our pillows confident in your secured love for us in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.